There's just something uh, so sweet and powerful about just proclaiming those simple words. Thank you, Jesus. You have saved my life, washed me white. And I don't know about you, but I come in here this morning as one with a grateful heart that uh, by God's grace and because of his power, I am not the man who I once was. I'm not the man who one day I, I will be. Uh, but I do praise the Lord that I'm not the man that I once was, and all because of the transforming power of the Lord. You know, if you're in here today, and maybe you walk in, and life's hard for you. Maybe you come in, things are difficult, and you know deep inside that you need a change, that, the, that there's something in you where you've tried life on your own, it hasn't worked out, it hasn't gone well for you on your own. You find yourself in church today, and you're not exactly know why, and you don't exactly know why. I just want to say, I think I know why. I think it's because God wants to show you that he can change your life and that he can do, through, do so through the power of Jesus. And so if we don't believe that Jesus changes people's lives, then we're wasting our time here at a church, but we are a church that believes in the power of the Holy Spirit to change people's lives. And so we trust the Lord that he has you here for a reason today. Thank you for being here today. We're gonna get into God's word together, so if you have a copy of the scriptures, you can open your Bible to Acts chapter 28. Acts chapter 28, that's where we're gonna be. And as you turn in there, let me just reiterate what was said earlier, but if you are with us today for the first time, thank you for being here. Uh, we are a church that exists to help people know Christ and then to make him known in the world, and, and that's why we're here as a church, and we're glad that you're here with us today. Uh, for those of you who are regular attenders or members with us, I also just want to say a quick word to you and just remind you that we do have our members meeting tonight uh, at 6.30. Um, if, you know, if you're a member, we encourage you to come. If you're a regular attender who's thinking thinking about becoming a member and you kind of want to see how things operate with the church, this is a good thing for you to come to. Uh, we do our, our members meetings on the second Sunday night of every month, um, unless there's a special holiday or something. So we encourage you to put those on your calendar, try to make an effort to come. Tonight, we are going to spend a little bit of a time um, talking a, a, about something very specific at our members meeting. Um, we're going to welcome new members and handle general business like usual, but we're also going to talk tonight at our members meeting about our three-step plan for um, numerical growth that we're expecting to see in our church. Uh, every time we come to the, every year when we come to the end of the summer and we get ready to go into the fall, we tend to see a bump in our attendance. College students return, families stop going on summer vacation, people settle into the regular rhythms of life and our attendance seems to bump a little bit. And so people are wondering, well, what are we going to do? Our two services are already kind of full. How are we going to, uh, you know, deal with, with the growth? And so to, we're going to be talking about that tonight at the members meeting. So I encourage you to come out tonight if you can, if you'd like to be a part of the discussion with us. Um, we'd love to, to see you there. Um, now, with those being said, I want to get us into the book of Acts. You know, we are in chapter 28 today. Um, man, this is, uh, it's, I think this is our 58th or 59th sermon in the book of Acts. This has been such a wonderful study for us to go through. I've appreciated so much how the Lord has been working in my heart and opening up my own eyes to the bigger picture of Scripture as we uh, have seen the, the way that the story of the early church has unfolded in the book of Acts. Um, but we're nearing the finish line of this book. And uh, just as a reminder, what I shared with you guys last week, our elders are going to be doing a little bit of a sermon, uh, a sermon series recap video. We want to answer any questions that you may have that have arisen out of our study of the book of Acts. Maybe, there are theologi maybe there's a theological question. Maybe there's a practical kind of life application question. Maybe there's something about ministry. Just something that anything that you'd like to ask the elders to speak into, you can send your questions to us at the email address on the screen, questions at ubcbeavercreek.com. 
and we will do our best to answer your question well and then send out that recap video after we wrap up this sermon series in a couple weeks. Um, We are going to be starting a new series after this called Connected. We do better together. It's really going to be all about the importance of Christian community and how we as a church will do the, the Christian life better together than we ever could alone. Every one of us, everybody needs somebody to help them wholeheartedly and sincerely follow Jesus. And so we're going to be emphasizing that as we get, uh, as we wrap up Acts and get into the next sermon series. But today we continue on into our last chapter of the book of Acts. You know, we've been seeing how the Lord has been at work taking the gospel from the Jews in Jerusalem out to the Gentile world, uh, to the rest of the unreached world in the, in the ministry of the apostles in the early church. Um, we've been seeing this happen in the second half of the book of Acts, mainly through the ministry of the apostle Paul and his missionary journeys. So we, you know, we've seen Paul complete his journeys, come back into Rome, he, or into Jerusalem. He gets arrested in Jerusalem. He gets transferred to Caesarea, held in custody there. He has some, some trials in Caesarea, ends up appealing his case to be heard by Caesar in Rome. And so we picked off, last, we, we ended last week with Paul um, traveling from Caesarea over to Rome on a ship that ended up really, uh, you know, hitting a storm, probably like a hurricane type storm. It ended up crashing and, and was starting to be torn apart. And so these, these prisoners and uh, soldiers and sailors that were on the ship, they all have to jump ship and swim for the shore uh, or kind of hang on. If they couldn't swim, the scripture says they just kind of hang on, hung onto a piece of the, the ship and floated into shore. And that's where we left off in chapter 27. So as we jump into chapter 28, here's how we're going to work through our text. We're just going to cover 10 verses today, verses 1 through 10. I just want to teach through those, bring some application in at the end. And as we've been kind of focused on this physical, you know, storm here in Acts 28, again, I want us to think about life's storms and how the Lord works in our life storms and how we are to react when life's storms come our way. So the main point from our text today is this. In life's storms, look for God's kindness. In life's storms, be on the lookout for God's kindness. Maybe you're in a storm today. Maybe you've come in. Life is heavy. Unexpected challenges have, hit, have come your way. You're not exactly sure what direction to take. Maybe you were here last week and the sermon really spoke to you. Um, and now you're wondering, okay, how do I live in the midst of the storm? What do I do? Today we're going to talk about a couple of things that really have to do with the Lord and noticing his kindness, right? So when you're in the midst of the storm, what do you do? You look for God's kindness. So let's look at Acts chapter 28, starting in verse 1. The scripture says, After we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. So just stop right there and remember that Paul and his friends, they've, they've made their way to this shore of this place where they don't, they don't know where they are. And it says that they found out later that the island they were on was called Malta. Now, some of you have been here long enough where you've been coming to this series and you see us always put these maps on the screen and you might probably know where Malta is. Some of you might like some help getting your bearings and figuring out where Malta is, but you can see it down there kind of towards the the toe of the boot of Italy, uh, the island of Malta there. What we've got to remember is that they had set sail from Caesarea with the intention to eventually make it over to Rome. They hit tough weather. They, so what they ended up doing, they had to go north, kind of west, around Cyprus there, made their way up to Asia Minor. They set sail out of Asia Minor. 
hit storms again. They made their way down uh, and took refuge at the, sa- the fair havens there in the island of Crete. And then once they left Crete, that's when the massive storm hit. And uh, the scripture says that they lost control of their boat. They didn't even know where they were going. Uh, they thought they might end up down on the, the African coast of the Mediterranean Sea. Um, but instead, where did they end up? They ended up landing on the island of Malta. That's where God sovereignly had them, you know, kind of run this ship aground, and that's where they, they came to the shore. Now, why is that important? It's because God all along has been fulfilling his plan. What has his plan been? His plan has been to get the gospel to the ends of the earth through the witness of the apostles. He's told Paul, hey, you're my apostle. You've, just like you've preached the gospel in Jerusalem, you're going to preach to Rome. You're going to preach in Rome. You're going to preach to Caesar. And so no matter what has happened in these storms, God is working his eventual plan to get Paul to Rome. And that's what he's doing as he brings him closer to Rome and lands him on the island of Malta. Now, interestingly, do you know what the word Malta means? In Latin, the word Malta means place of refuge. Place of refuge. Now, I think that's interesting because that's exactly what this place was. It was a place of refuge. Verse 1 says that uh, after we were brought safely through, then we learned the island was called Malta. Let me ask you a question just to kind of get you processing and thinking personally right here from the beginning. Um, Can you remember a time in your life where the Lord has brought you safely through. Can you think back on something where there was a difficulty, a hardship, you didn't know how things were gonna shake out, there was fear, there was uncertainty, and now you can look back and you can say, you know what, I remember the storms before. The Lord has brought us safely through. He's brought us to a place of refuge. He's given us a Malta moment. Here's the truth from my heart, pastoral heart to, to our church body. I hope that our church is a place of refuge. I hope that the relationships that you have in our church are safe relationships for you. I hope that you can be part of a group, a community, in discipleship relationships, in ministry with, some, with other people in our church, and that you can have this sense of, you know what? This is where I can find my Malta moments. Where I, the Lord, I'm going through storms, but I, I am brought here, and this is a place of safety and refuge for me. You know, um, years ago, uh, there was this moment in our family that was a tough one for us. Um, Rachel, my wife, found out that uh, she had a tumor growing in her leg. And, um, you know, we had never walked through anything like this before. We didn't, we didn't know if it was going to be malignant or not. We didn't know what was going on. Uh, she was really scared walking through that. And I remember this because um, of the importance of our growth group during that season. We had a growth group meeting that one night, and uh, it was my, my week to kind of go down and take the kiddos down to our basement and do some teaching and some uh, activities with the kids while the adults stayed upstairs and processed some stuff. And um, Connor Tate was leading our growth group, and he very simply just asked the growth group, he said, hey, is anybody just really going through some things tonight and they need prayer? And Rachel opened up and shared, you know, and uh, I remember I was downstairs with the kids, and after the growth group meeting was done, Rachel came, and we, we ended up talking, and I could see that her eyes were red, and something happened, and I was like, what happened up there with the adults? And uh, she was like, oh, it's so sweet, and she started telling me about how she was able to open up and share, and people were able to encourage her and pray with her and help her walk through that moment of fear. That stands out to me because it, it, was, a, it was a real, practical moment 
when the church community was a place of refuge for us. That was a Malta moment for us. And by the way, by God's grace, you know, we came through that tumor problem. No, you know, it was no issue. The tumor was removed. It wasn't malignant. All is well. But in the moments when you don't really know and you're just walking through fear, it's, it's wonderful when the Lord brings you to a place of refuge in the church. We praise the Lord that he brings us safely through our storms, gives us Malta moments. He was bringing Paul safely through his storm. Why? He gave him a Malta moment, a place of refuge, because he wasn't done with Paul's life yet. Paul still needed to get to Rome and preach the gospel. Uh, Paul was on the way to the place that God wanted him to be, and God gave him refuge along the way. So they land on Malta. Here's what happens next. Look at verse 2. Verse 2 says, And the native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all, because it had begun to rain and it was cold. So once again, we see that God is taking care of Paul. Um, This time, it's through the natives on this island of Malta. They were showing what the the scripture calls unusual kindness. Pay attention to that phrase in verse 2. Unusual kindness. And remember, this, this unusual kindness of making a fire for these guys, you know, it's not just for Paul. It's not like a little one, one or two man fire, you know, out somewhere on an island. We're talking about 276 guys. Right? That's going to be a big bonfire, right? These guys, think about the reality of their situation that they were in. They just had endured a, a storm that was at least two weeks long. They hadn't eaten much. They had to jump off their ship, swim for the shore. They would have been soaking wet. It was the kind of end of the fall season going into the winter, so it would have been colder. It's about 40 to 50 degrees on the sea in that time of year. So these guys would have been freezing, tired, exhausted, hungry. They, it starts to rain, and now these random natives show up and make this giant bonfire so they can all get warm. I think this is pretty incredible because, you know, these men, these 276 men on this boat, they weren't just kind of like, you know, uh, white-collar Americans, you know, just on a little cruise ship somewhere. We're talking about roughnecks. We're talking about sailors. We're talking about prisoners. And they just randomly show up on this island, and these natives take them in. God is at work, and he's using these natives to show this group of people unusual kindness. Have you ever had anybody show unusual kindness to you? I want you to think about that. Has there been a moment in your life where Somebody you weren't expecting, people who you were, maybe they were strangers. Some way, somehow, there was an unusual sort of kindness that showed up in your life. When you experience those things, don't just think of it as random circumstance. You know, God is at work. I was thinking about this in our own life, you know, many years ago, I don't know, 12 or 13 years ago, probably. Uh there was um, these massive windstorms. There were these massive windstorms that came through the Dayton area. I think there had been a hurricane down south and the winds ended up kind of coming our way and trees were down everywhere. In our neighborhood, all these trees were getting blown over. Uh, They were, you know, falling on people's houses. We had one couple of them that fell on our house. We had them down on our fence and on our power lines. And what ended up happening to us in that moment was we ended up having a, a couple of our neighbors come over and help us out. Um, there was a, a dad and his son. The son was about my age. And in my mind, at that moment, they were like the most unlikely neighbors that I would have expected to come over, right? These were 
These were kind of like roughneck people. All right, these are like, these are dudes that drive Harleys. No offense to anybody here who's a Harley rider, right? Uh, they, they had Rottweilers, you know, so like they're raising Rottweilers. These are, no offense to the Rottweiler people in the room. Like, but not the kind of people who you think are just going to kind of come over and help the community pastor, you know what I mean? So this is kind of what was going on with us. These guys come over and they help us in that situation. And I had never really talked to them before that time. Well, that ended up opening a door and we started interacting from time to time. And now, as the years have gone by, I've actually become good, you know, closer neighbors with them. But at that moment, I didn't really know them. A little bit of time went by, and I remember seeing the dad kind of out in his yard, talking to him at one point, and just saying, hey, um, hey, where's your son? I haven't seen him for a while. And, and he used this phrase with me that I had never heard before until that day. He said, well, he said, he's going to be going away for a while. I said, mm, I don't, okay. And then eventually after the course of the conversation, I figured out, oh, that means he's, he's going to jail. He's going to be in prison. Well, at that point in my ministry, I had, been in, I had been in ministry many years at that point, seven or eight years. But at that point in ministry, guys, I had, I had never done a jail visit. I ended up getting the contact info, went and did my first jail visit. I remember it because I walked into Montgomery County Jail and didn't know what I was supposed to do for a jail visit. And so I just asked like the, the you know, law enforcement officers behind the counter, hey, uh, I've never done one of these before. What do I do? And they just laughed at me, right? <laughs> they were like, okay, who's this new guy coming in? So, uh, but here's what ended up happening. I ended up being able to have some Bible studies with this guy while he was in jail. He ended up going to prison. We exchanged some letters. A couple years went by. When he got out of prison, my family's sitting at the dinner table one night and we get a knock on the door, and I go and answer the door, and it's this guy. He had just gotten out of prison. He remembered that and our relationship, and what ended up happening from there is for, for a season of life, Rachel and I were able to have a really sweet time of ministry with this guy who had gotten out of prison and his family. I'm pointing that out to you to say this. Sometimes God's, God brings people to show unusual kindness to you because he wants you to show them the unusual kindness of Christ. Don't just write it off when God brings a stranger in your life. Some, some unusual thing happens. God's at work. We're going to see how this happens with Paul and these natives. Verse 3. Verse 3 says, When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire... A viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. Now, this is an intention-getting part of Scripture, isn't it? Like, like, I love God's Word, but I do not like the visual picture that comes in my mind with situations like this, right? I wholeheartedly hate snakes. It's like there's olives and snakes, and they are equally as evil in my mind, right? <laughs> olives are... Satan's candy. <laughs> Snakes are like Satan's animal, right? There's a reason why the Bible calls Satan a serpent. Okay, so I hate, as I don't like this stuff. But this, this story gets our attention because now you've got a viper biting on Paul's hand, right? Okay, here's the thing. This story is not here simply to kind of get our attention with this extreme situation. It actually, the, the story is actually about to reveal a theological point that's significant for us. So let's, let's see what happens next. Verse four. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer 
though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. So we don't know much about these island natives from Malta, but we do get a little bit of a sense here about their theological views, their, 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 their worldview. We can see that in, in one sense, you know, they kind of have this karma-based mindset. and We're going to see in just a minute that they also have this kind of pagan Greek mythology mindset. But they said, hey, this man, this man Paul, he must be a murderer because he didn't let other people live. Justice isn't going to let him live now. He's going to die from this snake bite. Now, what's interesting is if you look at your Bible, uh, depending on what version of the scripture you're reading, in the word justice, the, name, the letter J will be capitalized in some of your versions. Now, why is that? It's because justice is, um, is a reference to one of the Greek goddesses that they believed in in their day. In Greek mythology, justice was the daughter of Zeus, and here was her role. She was believed to be the avenger of crimes. So these natives believed that the goddess justice had just enacted practical justice on Paul, right? These are people of karma, which just as a little bit of a side note, obviously there are many people in our culture today who still believe in karma. What goes around comes around. You know, bad things are gonna happen to bad people. Good things are gonna inevitably happen to good people. You know, what's interesting to me is when we're thinking about talking and ministering and sharing the gospel with people who believe in karma, you know, the presupposition underneath their belief is that, you know, there's this, there's the existence of good things and bad things. And, you know, that's uh, a sense that they have in their heart, like that, that people know that there is such a thing as good and bad. Well, where does that come from? Of course, according to the Christian worldview, we believe that God has put a conscience in the heart of man so that we would know what is right and wrong. Um, yes, we can kind of sear our conscience or harden our hearts, but people in general are uh, willing to admit that there is right and wrong, good and evil um, in this world. And so the million-dollar question when we're talking with people who believe in karma is this. It's like, who gets to define what's good and what's bad? Who gets to define what is right and what's wrong? Who gets to define what is righteous and what is evil? Who can tell us? And oftentimes in our modern American culture, people will say, well, you know, it's determined by society or a culture or, you know, uh, we can kind of determine our truth for ourselves. But here's the thing. If, if there's no ultimate standard of what is good or bad, then there's no point in us ever saying that one thing is good or one thing is bad. Uh, if, if everything is kind of relative, then the guys who, uh, you know, participate in slave trade, in our opinion, that could be bad, but in their culture, it could be considered good. Uh, people who uh, sacrifice children throughout history, well, we might look at that as like a, such an uh, unimaginable atrocity, but in their mind, uh, that's fine because it's based off their worldview of the gods that they believe in. What about guys who fly airplanes into Twin Towers in New York City? We would say, what an, what an evil act. In other people's minds, they're going to say, well, you know, that was kind of a noble deed. So look, we have to understand that if we're going to believe that kind of good and bad kind of comes around, goes around, we've got to start with the foundational kind of truth that what? That there is such a thing as good and bad and that somebody should get to define it. And in the Christian worldview, we believe that good and bad is defined ultimately not by any human being, not by any culture or society, but that it starts with the one who is the epitome of goodness and righteousness and justice, and that is our perfectly good and righteous and holy God. 
So just a little side note there about how do we interact with people who kind of have this worldview that's rooted in karma. That's kind of what these Malta natives have. They have this, this view of, of karma. We're also going to see that they also have uh, a little bit of an uh, understanding of Greek mythology and s- some sort of supernatural worldview type beliefs. Continue in verse 5 and you'll see what I mean. It says, he, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. So it's interesting to me, the fickle beliefs of people, right? Like one minute they're saying, oh, he's a murderer. The next minute they're saying, oh, he's a god. So this is where we're at. People are basically now saying, hey, Paul's a god. Now this... This has happened before in our study in the book of Acts. Remember back in Acts chapter 14, Paul and Barnabas are in the city of uh, Lystra. And they're there and Paul heals a man. And after the man is healed, then the, the people come and they say, these men must be gods. And they start to say, Barnabas is Zeus and Paul is Hermes. And they start to bring uh, offerings and sacrifices that they want to give to these guys. And Paul says, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, I'm not God. Don't worship me. Worship the one true God. Now, something similar is happening here in Malta. Just like in Lystra, Paul was called a god, but really God allowed that to happen so Paul could point them to the one true God. That same thing is happening here in Malta. These people with these pagan worldview who had never had an understanding of Christ or the gospel, the door is now being opened for Paul to share the truth about the one true God to them. Remember, why did God send Paul out into the world? Because why? He was to be a witness for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so now, Paul is about to have a door open to show the power of God and the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So keep reading in verse 7. We'll see how this unfolds. Verse 7 says, Now in the neighborhood of that place, there were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, which is a funny name, And he received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. So what do we have here? Again, we have another quote-unquote random person that is showing unusual kindness to Paul. He's a wealthy man. He's got influence. He's got property. So he not only lets Paul, but all all the other 275 men stay on his land for at least a few days here. And if you read actually in the next uh, subsequent section of verses, you're going to see they stayed there for like months, all during the winter season. So God raises up uh, Publius to help Paul, to help the other men. It says in verse 8 that it happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery, which is a, a terrible intestinal disease that can often lead to death. It says, so that's what's going on with this man. And it says, and Paul visited him and prayed and putting his hands on him, healed him. So, you know, to me, it's, it's very important that we all notice that Paul went and visited him. He made a public visit. In that public visit, he took the time to pray, to lay his hands on this man. Why would Paul do that time of public prayer and laying on of hands? Here's why. Because Paul knew where the true power came from. And Paul wanted to make it sure that everybody else knew that that true power to heal didn't exist just within himself. He wasn't a God the way that these guys were making him out to be. He knew the one true God. And he knew that healing and the power to heal was in the hands of the one true God, so he prayed to that one true God. 
in public in front of this crowd. Now, what have we said in our church for years? We've said that prayer is the language of dependence. When there are things in our lives that only God can do, we have to learn to move past trying to fix all of our problems and make all these things happen on our own. We want people to be saved, only God can save, so we gotta pray for God to save people. We want people to be healed, we gotta pray for God to heal people. We can't do that on our own. We want things to to come out that, that are spiritual in nature. You and I can't change anybody's heart. That's for God's work to do. So we pray and ask the Lord to do that. You want God to be at work in our church? Pray for the Lord to be at work in our church. Because why? We can't just wake up tomorrow and be like, we're going to be a spiritually alive church. The Lord does it, right? The Lord has to do it. Prayer is the language of dependence. Which means, if we practice the Christian life in a way that is void of prayer, what does that mean? It means that we are living as if we are not dependent upon the Lord. So Paul is understanding if healing is going to happen to this man, he is totally dependent upon the one true God to do it. So he lays his hands on, he prays, and by God's grace, God reaches into that moment, heals Publius's dad through Paul, and God's kindness was shown to this man through Paul. And it says in verse 9 that when this, when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and they were cured. So just like Jesus' ministry on earth, he heals the sick, people find out, more crowds come. Same thing's happening with Paul here. We saw it happen with Peter earlier in the, in the book of Acts. Now it's going on again. God's kindness was being displayed to the many through the ministry of Paul. Now let's see how the people respond. Look at verse 10. Verse 10 says, they also honored us greatly. And when we were about to set sail, they put on board whatever we needed. So this is pretty cool right here. They, you're you're going to see next week that they stayed on this island with these people for like three months, interacting with them. And when it comes time for them to leave, somehow Paul and his shipwrecked friends, they've, they've procured another ship. They were about to set sail. This community of Malta natives supplies them with all that they need, right? God used Paul to show kindness to these people. God used these people to show kindness to Paul. And in this give and take of kindness, God is at work accomplishing his big picture. What is the big picture of the book of Acts, you guys? The big picture in the book of Acts is that God is getting the gospel from the Jews in Jerusalem out to the rest of the unbelieving world. Paul is gonna, God is going to get Paul to Rome, but on the way, he's been having him take all these stops in various cities amongst different people. And now the stop is with these natives in Malta. Because why? God is going to get the gospel to the ends of the earth. God is going to advance his kingdom. No persecution is going to stop it. No religious leaders are going to stop it. No evil spirits are going to stop it. No arrests are going to stop it. No mistrials are going to stop it. No riots are going to stop it. No shipwrecks are going to stop it. No storms can stop it because God's kingdom will advance. His glory is going to fill the earth as the water covers the sea until people from every tribe, tongue, and nation are reached with the gospel at the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. He will accomplish his mission. No storm can stop it, including the storms that are in your life right now. In fact, what have we seen all through the gospel of Acts? The storms don't prevent the advance of the kingdom. The storms are part of the advance of the kingdom. So the storm that you're going through right now may just be part of the way that God uses your life to reach somebody else for Christ. So in life's storms, 
Look for God to be at work. See how he's at work. Specifically, when we, look, we think about this text, what do we see? We see Paul looking for God's kindness. In the midst of your storms, you can see God's kindness at work. We see it in Paul's life. God's kindness was displayed to him and through him. And so that's what's going to be the focus of our two takeaways for today. Two application points for you to think about today. First one is this. In your storms, look for God's kindness to you. In your storms, look for God's kindness to you. In our text, Paul was the recipient of God's kindness over and over again, right in the midst of his storms. God's kindness that gave him a a favorable centurion on his ship. God's kindness that that gave him uh, a a, a place where his ship didn't crash, but he made it safely to shore. Uh, uh, God's kindness that gave him uh, natives from the island of Malta to meet their needs. God's kindness to deliver him from a, a venomous snake bite. God's kindness to give them a new ship to transport him to Rome that was completely stocked with goods from the natives at Malta. Look, God's kindness was being showed to Paul in the midst of his storms. And listen, I believe if you know Jesus Christ, you're going to be able to look at life in your storms and you're going to be able to see God's kindness to you. It's important. There is absolutely nothing wrong for us to look at at our storms in life and say, Lord, I do not like this. This is difficult. I want out of this storm. Please bring me safely through. Nothing wrong for that. But as you're waiting for him to bring you through, look for his kindness. Look for his kindness. If you're going through a storm today, let me ask you, where have you seen the Lord provide for you in small ways, maybe in big ways? If you're in a storm today, where have you sensed his presence in a new and a fresh way? Where have you heard his voice speaking to you? Sometimes he's speaking to you loud and powerfully and you can't deny it. Other times you hear him in the still small voice of a whisper. Where do you see him at work in his kindness in you, growing you in the midst of your storm to be more like Jesus? Suffering does that to us, doesn't it? Suffering and hardship and storms, they ultimately make us more like Jesus. That's part of what God wants to do. Now, for, you know, I was listening to uh, somebody preach a sermon this past week, and a statement in his sermon was this. He said, suffering is a stewardship, and that is part of normal Christianity. Part of the normal Christian life, you guys, is us learning how to steward our storms well, to look for ways to worship God in the midst of them as he grows us to be more like Jesus. So church, let's steward our storms well. When they come, first, look for God's kindness to you. Second, in your storms, look for God's kindness to be shown through you. Look for God's kindness to be shown through you. In our text, you know, Paul had so many hardships come his way. You know what we don't see? We don't see Paul grumbling, complaining, woe is me, He doesn't blame God for his troubles, and he certainly doesn't kind of give up on his faith and start to deconstruct. He stays steady, trusting the Lord's hand in the midst of the storms. He stays busy serving the Lord, serving other people. We see it even in our 10-verse passage today that the Apostle Paul is, he's out to serve the Lord and serve others in the midst of this trial and difficulty. You know what really stood out to me in this text today? 
It was, the small, it, was, it was this little statement that Paul had gathered sticks to throw them in the fire. You know what that meant? Paul was, he was serving people. He didn't just wait for everybody else to gather the sticks and toss them in the fire. He went, he did the, one of the little things himself to go gather some sticks to throw them in the fire so that he and the rest of the guys could stay warm. He did the small things to serve people. He also did the big things to serve people. He used his spiritual gifts. He prayed to the Lord for healing. God worked through him to provide healing. And you know, guys, this is just reminding me that in the Christian life, faithful servants of the Lord, you know, we are in the midst of the storms. We're going to be looking for the ways that we can serve people in big ways and small ways. You know, we never, in the Christian life, we never reach a position where we are too good to take on the small tasks. Part of Christian leadership, Christ-like Christian leadership is to say, you know, there's no, there's no two task, there's no task that's too small for me. We're willing to serve the normal people in normal ways. We're not just sitting around waiting for the next big platform, the next big opportunity, the next big paycheck that's going to come with serving the Lord. You know, the Apostle Paul, of all people who, you know, anointed by God to do ministry, he's still willing to go pick up sticks, put them in the fire, help people get warm. And he was willing to step through the big opportunity that God came and put in his way and said, pray for this man that he might be healed. He didn't let fear hold him back. He knew his calling. He knew his God. He didn't shy away from that. He laid hands on him and he prayed and he trusted God to do the work. So in the small things and the big things, when the storms come, let God's kindness show through you. And let me just wrap up my time by saying this. In your storms, remember this, the Lord may bring someone into your life to show unusual kindness to you so that you can show the unusual kindness of Christ to them. The irony of this whole passage to me is that the very people who said, Paul's going to get what he did deserve, those very people are the ones who get what they didn't deserve. These karma believing, pagan, Greek, mythological God worshipers. They are so far from God. They are living in sin. They are deserving of hell. Yet in God's kindness, he gives them supernatural healings and he gives them a powerful evangelist to tell them of Christ. So guys, what a kindness of God. And as we focus on the kindness of God today, here's what we need to remember. Praise be to God. God doesn't just give us what we deserve. God gave Jesus what we deserve, the punishment for sin on the cross. And Jesus took the punishment we deserve at the cross so that we can receive the blessing that only he deserves. Full acceptance by God. Praise be to God. Our God isn't a God of karma. He's a God of grace and kindness, unusual kindness to sinners like us. So when life storms come, look for God's kindness. Lord, we stop now and we praise you in this moment for being a God full of loving kindness to us. We praise you, Lord. We can all look back at the storms in our life and we can see the ways in which you've given us Malta moments, places of refuge, where you've met us right where we are and that you've brought us safely through. And we praise you, Lord, for those of us in this room who even when the hardest trial of this life comes, the trial of death, we praise you that you will bring us safely through that and bring us all the way home to heaven.
room today who may be going through a storm. It's so hard to take our eyes off ourselves and our circumstances and to turn our spiritual eyes towards you. But Lord, I pray that you would help us grow us, grace us with the strength to see your kindness to us even in the midst of life storms. I pray that you would let us also look to see how you might want to show your kindness through us in the midst of our storms. That we would be quick to serve others, take steps of faith for ministry, even when life is difficult. And Lord, I want to pray specifically this morning for anybody who's in this room who may be going through a storm of life and they know that they don't, they don't really know you. They've made a mess. They've tried doing life the best they can on their own and it's not working out. And Lord, I pray that even right now in the midst of this storm that you would call them to believe in Christ, crucified, buried, and risen again, who will forgive all of their sins if they will repent and believe in him. Meet them right where they are, Lord. May today be a first day of trust and faith in you, a first day of transformation in their life. And we praise you as your people that you are a God of unusual kindness to sinners like us. It's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen.